everybody to episode 75 of the Metabilis 2 podcast which features David and Ben and this week <laughs> we will be discussing the tense space opera extravaganza that is the Sword of Orion. Mm-hmm. Yep, the 2001 second. Blimey, 2001, eighth. so that was like 17 years ago. Yep, February 2001, it was the Ooh. 8th. Eighth Doctor's second big finish story. This is a audiovisual script that Nick Briggs wrote and adapted or revised for Paul McGann's Doctor. Yeah, I mean that was all the rage at that time. I can mm-hmm. remember the slightly later Big Finish did Sharda and readapted it for mm-hmm. Paul McGann's Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they were scrambling for scripts. And... They were scrambling for scripts. Scrambling for scripts. Yep. They were no. They were not yet the powerhouse of storytelling <laughs> they are today. They were not the script-churning juggernaut that is Big Finish in the second decade of the 21st century. They they were not that. (laughs) They were the other that that is, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so they they rehashed one of Nick Briggs' old scripts from the 90s, right? Was that when Sword Mm -hmm. of Ryan was first? first I think so, early 90s. It was cassette tape, a 90-minute cassette tape, all kind of an omnibus format. Did you have a chance to listen to that at all? I listened to Sword of Orion, the cassette tape version, and Sword of Orion, the actual big finished version. Mm-hmm. No, it was interesting, actually, because, I mean, I actually hadn't... I mean, I wasn't really listening to things. I mean, I wasn't buying stuff on cassette tape in the 90s. Right, right. Um, And I hadn't heard the Nick Briggs Doctor before. Yeah. So that was actually a mysteriously interesting comparison, and I mm-hmm. and I thank you for that suggestion to do that. Yeah, n- not at all. Should we go? I think probably we should start with the big finish, the flagship production, yeah. rather than the the original. See and, where we get to. Uh, focus in on that, and then uh, see what happens. Nip back into history of audiovisuals and Nick Briggs's. <laughs> Uh, first first cut at Sword of Orion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me start. All right. And I will say that I remember really not enjoying Sword of Orion at all when I... Because uh, I had a subscription to Big Finish right. for quite some time. No, hang on. Was it just... No, I had a subscription through... 10th Planet, which was the store in Barking, in the Barking <laughs> shopping mall, and they had a subscription service for Big Finish. Right. And my rationale was that, like, you know, I needed to support Who Things, because if I didn't support Who Things, then Who Things would stop happening. Right. And I liked Who Things, and I wanted more Who Things to happen. So I had, I had that subscription service with the added bonus that if you got things through 10th Planet, they would have them signed Ooh. by the stars for no extra cost. Nice, nice. So all of, I think the first 30 or 40 or so, I think I stopped around about 50 because it was just like, oh, I've got to stop now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, well, now actually, I stopped. I stopped my subscription to, to Big Finish when in two thousand five. Actually, when the TV series started, mm-hmm. and there was so much other kind of merchandise going on. Anyway, so my the, the my first kind of fifty or so Big Finishes um, are all signed by you know Paul McGann and uh, India Fisher and mm-hmm. Mark Gattis, and I have an early David Tennant signature right. before David Tennant was David Tennant. For <laughs> it's uh, huge. <laughs> before he was, he was still. David McDonald or whatever he is. No, he he, he did sign himself. David oh, there Tennant. was a just a quick sidebar. The uh, his, yeah. his wife uh, Georgia Moffat on her Instagram has a picture of Tennant kind of, oh, of grinning s- in the foreground. I, I, I saw that. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then there's a guy on his cell phone in the background with uh, a TARDIS Nike motif. T-shirt. And the caption was. And he'll never know how close he was to tennis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just get off your phones, kids. You're missing stuff. You're missing the world by being you're, glued to you're your missing, phone. You're missing what you want by just staring at your phone. Um, that could be the motto for my own children. Uh, anyway. Likewise. Yes. So uh, where was I? Yeah, so I, didn't, I remember not enjoying Sword of Ryan at all. I enjoyed it a lot more mm-hmm. listening to it oh, recently. Great, great. I, uh, I, I mean, I listened to the Briggs one first, right? The AV one, the AV one, mm-hmm. the audiovisual one first, um, and then the uh, the actual sort of run later. And you know, it's 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 really instructive. We need to get better actors involved. Um, <laughs> it's 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 better. I mean, I mean, Go I figure. <laughs> I mean, I love. I mean, obviously, I have to love Nick Briggs because he's done so much mm-hmm. to serve my favorite program um he's not the world's greatest actor really he's very good at being monsters well he he certainly has improved with experience and this was a long time ago yes, yes this, this was, was well, this was 20, 20 years ago mm-hmm. yes, well and exactly. i think there's probably close to 10 years difference between this av sort of orion and the big finish yeah. sort of orion and anyway there was two companions i didn't really understand etc 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 but you know i mean india fisher and uh, uh paul mcgann are lovely people to spend time with absolutely they have such a lovely chemistry mm-hmm. um i mean it is a little bit weird that charlie pollard learns so much so quickly mm-hmm. one vaguely assumes there might be kind of missing adventures in between <laughs> um storm morning and now, sort of orion if only... even though they do start start straight <laughs> off with the with the with the full um, and going to the Vortisol curing market or whatever the hell they do. Yeah, um, yeah. So. If only we had some kind of you know audio uh, company that could fill in those gaps between uh, yeah. Storm Warning and <laughs> Sword of Orion. If only, if only there could be some independent. <laughs> Like fan organization or fan group that comes up with like missing adventures that fill in the gaps. If only that could happen. Yeah, one day, one wow. day. I'm seeing, I'm seeing like a what was that thing, the circle thing in whatever that episode of Doctor Who is. Oh god, yeah, you know, I'm still on jet lag. So, um, oh, you know the the oh, what's it called? It has it has a name. It's the the occlusion of something something. Anyway, if there's, I can see there's just like a circle of things with like you know the gaps getting smaller and smaller and the fan groups getting recursion? tinier and tiny. Yes, a recursion of some okay. kind. Uh, if, if, if only that could happen. Uh, yeah, she does learn very quickly. Um, it is, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, Mark Gattis walks on, gets killed. That That's funny. Yeah, what, Captain Thinnis. Captain Thinnis. And then, yes. uh, we know, we have the Big Finish repertory company with Barnaby B. Edwards there. Doing Barnaby the Edwards and yeah. Toby Longworth mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. Hilton Collins. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, in, in all, in all, uh, uh, you very much enjoyed it, really, I think. Yeah. I was disappointed. The Cybermen voices weren't as good. Hmm. I thought they were they were an uneasy mix. I felt between kind of the excellent uh, <laughs> Cybermen Banks, of, yep. of of the eighties mm-hmm. and the 
not-so-excellent cyber voices of the 70s. Right, and I, okay. I guess I've become used to the best cyber voices, which are really the cyber voices from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in the early 2000s, we weren't really doing 60s cyber voices. Mm-hmm. I think everyone felt they would sound too silly. Right. But those are actually the best cyber voices. And these were too boomy and too doctor-ish. Hmm. Doctor-ish <laughs> for my liking, hmm. I Interesting. felt. If I remember correctly, they seem to me a hybridization between very 1980s type cyber stylings or voices yeah. and then yeah. like the story a combination of the tomb type delivery and it wasn't quite the uh, uh, buzzing of the voice but it was i think more 80s than 60s but it was yeah. kind of a hybridization and it, it worked you definitely knew they were cybermen was this was this the first time that the cybermen had appeared on big finish now that i couldn't tell you off the top of my head but we i could think it was do a quick let me do a quick little look here i think it is and i think i think what i'm getting here is some nervousness on behalf of the big finish production crew to create mm. a cyber voice that would be acceptable to you know new listeners or you know listeners who had only really heard of the 80s cybermen mm-hmm. and i think nowadays obviously you know they have a lot more confidence in terms of you know just producing a cyber voice that's you know really kind of appropriate mm-hmm. i just felt as you said i mean they were they're too much of a combination of kind of mm-hmm. 80s and, and 70s mm-hmm. Right. Um, and they worked well enough. The cyber voices in the original AV production, I think, were closer to the 1980s type Cyberman voices. Yeah, which I think was actually, to me, more acceptable rather than have yeah. a kind mm-hmm. of a, you know, a kind of a hybrid Cyberman, mm-hmm. Cyberman thing. Yeah. So wh- what, did, what did you think of the story overall? I'm guessing you liked it better than when you first heard it. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely an improvement. I liked it better than when I first heard it. Uh, and it's definitely an improvement over the audiovisuals version. Mm-hmm. It's kind of alien, basically. Um, it's like a, you know, they sort of. Band. Well, uh, yeah, it's a sort little of... bit. They discover like a, you know, it's a group of people who are worried about their bonuses, mm-hmm. who discover an alien that's really super evil and yeah. starts killing everyone. And then mm-hmm. one of them is actually a robot who's actually been sent on a special <laughs> Good mission. Good point. Yeah. To uh, weaponize the alien in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's basically alien, as far as I'm oh, concerned. Oh, so yeah, that... which is which is good, and which is fine because aliens are you know it's, it's excellent a great piece plot. of yeah, yeah, it's a it, great plot. But, but it's, it's you know it's there's a slight there's a slight like eighties sameness mm-hmm. to it. It's well steeped in Doctor Who lore though too, because we also have the cybernization, the tombs. So we have a little bit of Attack of the Cybermen, Tomb yep, of the Cybermen, combined with Earthshock. So it it uh, synthesizes a lot of Doctor Who tropes, combining with Alien to produce this new work. Yeah, and it, I mean it's quite Briggsian. Um, I mean I you know as I said I keep on saying how much how much I like Nick Briggs, and then just saying how much. I don't like the things he does. I mean, he has he has his own kind of mythology that he enjoys. Mm-hmm. He's very into his own kind of space operas. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of war between the humans and the androids is a thing. Now, is and that a thing that's going to be picked up later in? Yeah, I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm going to be. I'm sure I'm going to be accused by our one listener who knows what they're talking about by misremembering. I'm sure that like humans versus androids happens again mm-hmm. in the kind of Briggs verse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he loves his space opera, mm-hmm. you know, and he loves his his Robert Holmes style, you know, uh, Cockney accented or Mancunian accented, depending on who the actor is. Right. Um, you know, rogues, 
he's very keen on that. Mm-hmm. He loves his female heroes. He loves his strong Lisa Bowerman style, clear speaking ladies. Right. Uh, so you know it's very Briggsian, mm-hmm. which you know is is fine. But 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 I think again, you know, this is a relatively early mm-hmm. piece in the Big Finish canon. So you know, what did you think of uh, Briggs's music in uh, sort of the Ryan, the Big Finish version? I did not like the music at all. Okay. How about you? Uh, I thought the mix of the music was rather loud, and it overshadowed, much like uh, much of new Doctor Who, uh, some of the dialogue. So a lot of times mm-hmm. I'd be listening to this audio story on my iPhone, so I was able to slow it down to 75%. And sometimes that was very helpful, just picking up uh, and filtering out. I can compare Briggs's inspired uh, score for sort of Orion to the one that he kind of laid down a track for. Then he had um, the composer Jim Mortimer do for the AV score, which had a lot more callbacks to uh, like space adventure, Cybermen theme, and some of the yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. I love that. And yeah, that was Earthshock. great to hear that come in. And yeah. but they weren't I, whether they didn't want to pay for it, they weren't able to do that in the uh, big finish sword of Orion score. So there's a lot of hints to it, but it didn't quite do it. And I thought it worked overall. The sound design was pretty good. The score worked very well. There was definitely improvements over the sound design um, in the big finish version and the the AV production where. Uh, like just a simple thing was when they put on their space helmets or took off their space helmets, we got a sound effect for it. So I think overall the sound design was good. The music uh, just Adequate. turned up just a little bit too loud for me. Yeah, I mean I, the sound the sound design was 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 bigger um, in the in the in the big finish <laughs> version over the AV yep. version. It was you know you had a, a, a more sense of. Of space, um, but I I found myself being confused by the sounds of like a spaceship and the music. Mm. I couldn't tell whether the kind of boomy like sound was like some spaceshipy thing, or whether it was the music telling me that I should feel a particular emotion mm-hmm. at any particular point, mm-hmm. other than boredom. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but um, that's a joke. It wasn't. It wasn't that boring. But yeah, no, it was it was confusing, and and at some point the music kind of like implied that they were in, they were in some kind of vast echoey space. Right. When actually, what I think I'm supposed to be understanding is this is a really kind of enclosed corridor style alien style spaceship, rather than like a big echoey right. space style spaceship. Or maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Anyway, that wasn't very clear. Well, that was also interesting too. There was definitely some inside jokes for Doctor Who fans in the writing. Uh, I want to. <laughs> the one that stuck out the most for me was with uh, Charlie when they were, um, I think it was in episode one when they were strolling around on the Cyberman Star Destroyer. And right. then Charlie's going, it's very bare, isn't it? They evidently didn't have much time for the finer things in life. Uh, and it's sort of like yes. a direct callback to the well-cooked the meal, well-cooked meal <laughs> in Earthshock. <laughs> Um, I was which calling kind of callbacks and kind of in jokes I was struck by the who are you people line which of course I think is a very famous line from Close Encounters of the Third Kind Mm -hmm. Um, which I think was deliberate they put that in there because the intonation was very much the Richard Dreyfuss style intonation Mm -hmm. that was given to that line 
Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I th- I liked it a lot better than Storm Warning. I, it felt more Doctor Who to me, and I think that's probably the inclusion of Cybermen and the, yeah. the kisses probably back to Earthshock and Tomb of the Cybermen. The, the thing that uh, I, I think this is reflective of Briggs's love of space opera with that whole bizarre, that whole beginning thing where the whole subplot or this thing of Ramsey the Vortazor being sick and... The, Nobody the, cares the, about Ramsey the Vortazor. I'm hoping, I'm expecting them to jettison that, uh, pl- that dinosaur quickly, quickly because it's just <laughs> not there. <laughs> No, it's I, just... it's, it's, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. The Ramsey the Vortisaur is like it's, he's not a character that anyone cares about. No, um, he needs to go quite quickly, and I think he does go quite quickly. Doesn't right. he? Right, well, that's, that's good. Remember. I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm not it, listening ahead, and I don't remember. So. I think he gets ejected into end space or something <laughs> in short order. No, it's and, and it's. I mean, like, you know, it's it's a way to get the more. Uh, you know, it's a way to stretch it out because mm-hmm. obviously at this point. Big Finish were kind of rigorously sticking to, you know, a 25-minute-plus or so four-episode ep- four structure because mm-hmm. I think, again, that's what they felt that what that's what us crusty old Doctor Who fans would only accept, something that was exactly like what they remembered. Mm-hmm. So they did need to pad it out a bit. You know, and again, yeah. you know, obviously Charlie just arrived as a, as right. a TARDIS companion, so we, she, she needs a little bit of... Little bit of settling in, mm-hmm. um, and I guess you know, <laughs> but, but, but she does seem pretty well settled in by the time the story is she's, going. Yeah, on. she's sonic screwdriver ready, she's like, yeah. she's, she knows it all. She's the Victoria mm-hmm. Edwardian adventurous, you know. And Ramsey's he's kind of a, like a canine that you can kind of pet and stuff, and like it's a little thing that she has. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, he's I sick, can't... and they have to go to the market where all the aliens mm-hmm. are, and they'd be all like Star Wars and stuff, and right, yeah, I don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I couldn't tell because that pre credit sequence at the beginning of part one whether the the vortisaur was feeling better and roared or the vortisaur was feeling sicker and threw up i just couldn't tell was that was that a roar or a barf it was a barf sound um who played the vortisaur it doesn't say here on the wikipedia i'm guessing that's nick briggs it's nick briggs in his, his vortisaur or you know, maybe Barnaby Edwards or, 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 or Toby Longworth. I don't or, know. It's an uncredited people. Nick Clegg role. Um, Mark Gatiss was like <laughs> making a roaring sound. Who there knows? There you go. Who knows? Yeah. I think Mark Gatiss at the time in 2001 wouldn't have been as instantly recognizable as voice, but even his highly characterized, mannerized voice as uh, Captain Thinnis was very, very obviously... That's Mark Gatiss. It's oh Mark yes, Gatiss. it is Mark yeah. Gatiss. Yeah, yeah. I mm. mean, he was he was a big star at that time. I mean, really, I mean, League of League of Gentlemen was oh, huge. Right, 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 right. They had like a stage yes. show, like Monty Python, that mm-hmm. toured around the country. I mean, he was like a big deal. So the fact that he was kind of you know moonlighting by doing some voices for like Big mm-hmm. Finish is is was was good on him actually because because mm-hmm. he was pretty he was pretty busy he was pretty blah he was pretty busy at that point. And he's doing it because he loves Doctor Who, and but he's his voice is very distinctive. It is, and it's yeah. Very, it's very hard for I think him to disguise that. Yes, this is Mark Gatiss. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And of course, he was the announcer. I, 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 I he was, he was, or something. Yes. he was something, yeah, he, in he was, he was in, a um, newsreel announcer in Storm Morning. In Storm Morning, yes. Yeah. So, right. I mean, obviously, he have he's doing walk-ons for like all of these. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the doctor's uh, comment? I think the line of dialogue was he thought Charlie would be interested in seeing the future human society and all his grim and grimy glory. 
And Charlie responds saying that most of the creatures they've seen wouldn't be what she would call human. And then the doctor says, terrible thing, this interbreeding. Oh, <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yes, it's nice, half human, yes. That's a little... Yes. I don't know if that's a callback to the half human on my mother's side bit or if this was... I can't remember if it's Star Trek or what. There, there's some sci-fi franchise that basically the purpose of humanity is they go out and mate with whatever else is in the universe. And oh, I can't remember that's, if that's, that's Star Trek. Yeah. That's was it Star Trek? I, 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 I had no idea. I okay. No idea. I don't know. It was, it was some things, you know, because Nick Bridges is like a sponge a lot of times and he just absorbs the genre. It's like Gatiss. He absorbs the genre and then out comes a new work. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so, and then there's like the mention of head plugs and sort of, you know, there's a lot of things there to, uh, that like Bob Holmes would do to expand the universe that just get a one, one line mention, especially in the bizarre. Yeah. Which is, which, I mean, you know, everyone says that that's the way you should do it. I mean, Holmes does it brilliantly. I really don't think Briggs does it that well at all. It's more, I mean, I can't remember what the exact phrase is, but it's something, it's something that RTD often says. It's like, you know. Zogs from the planet Zog, <laughs> planet of Mingmongs. The planet, you know, nobody cares who those people are. So, like, you right, know, you've got to locate it in something that people care about because if it's right. just the, you know, it's all that eighties who where it's like you know the things from the planet thing doing a thing. You know, it's right. no thank you. So yeah, I, 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 I didn't feel that was hugely successful. I would have rather have had you know Charlie and the doctor just hanging out in the TARDIS a bit, just kind of, you know, talking about things rather than mm. trying to get some Vortisol salve for it, the Vortisol right. skin. But that would have been a little bit samey for the way the storm warning began, well, too, with true. the doctor talking to himself in the TARDIS looking at his books. But I like the doctor, so I want to hear him talk. <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah. But, uh... I don't know that it, it was interesting that whole first episode mm-hmm. when it was in addition to uh, the script that Nick Briggs had for the AV, sort of Orion, because I was doing a little bit of research. The companion of the Nick Briggs doctor, Rhea, was a hard actress to work with. I think she was one of the girlfriends of one of the oh, really? Gary Russell or Nick oh, Briggs I didn't know or that. one of them. Ooh, okay. And so they basically wrote her out of the story. So then they had to expand the role of companion because. The, there was no companion in the AV story except at you know the bookends, right? At the very beginning with Truman and Rhea, right. and then so it was interesting to see what lines were given to Charlie in there. So it was a lot of the a lot of the doctor's uh, snarky remarks, or a lot of the vanguard, the the salvage ships crew's snarky remarks were given to uh-huh. Charlie, and then just the whole indignation bit, and I. I'm not sure I like that bit of Charlie, who is very familiar with the doctor, almost to the point of knowing what he's thinking. And then, like, when he offers to help, and she she would say something like, oh, yes, and he's so modest, too. And the kind of the undercutting, I'm not sure. Maybe it worked well with the McGann doctor for you, but I thought it was a little bit kind of a rougher edge on the Charlie character that didn't seem to work. Yeah, I mean, I, again, you know, I mean, I think as, as we said on the on the on the, the beginning, you know, they were they were kind of adapting a script because they they needed scripts at this point, and you know, they were just kind of, mm-hmm. as you said, reallocating lines. And you know, this is only Charlie's second outing as Charlie. Right. These are. 
even at this point, which is, you know, I think a year or so into Big Finish, there's still a bunch of people in a room. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's professional enough, but not what you'd call like 100% professional. So uh, the time that they might have had to actually properly think about how to develop a character like Charlie effectively, rather than just giving her... I mean, in some ways, actually, Big Finish at this point, I think was analogous to old-style Doctor Who in the 70s and 80s, you know, when they're just kind of making mm. up as they go along. Oh, well, um, that's what they're doing nowadays, too. And what well, they, well, they do all the time, to be honest, yep, yep, actually. Yep. Yeah, that's true. The thing is, I mean, India Fisher is such an engaging uh, voice, right. and she acts so nicely, and I mean nicely, kind of accurately, as well as just pleasantly, that you kind of forgive any kind of, you know, roughness in terms mm-hmm. of the characterization. It doesn't really bother me hugely. Okay. I think, you know, like you said, she does work really well with McGann. So it's yeah. a nice pairing between doctor and companion. Yeah. I mean, I, as, as I think our regular listeners will know, I mean, I gave up listening to Big Finish some time ago regularly because I really couldn't afford it. I really didn't have the time uh, more than anything. One thing that I would love to do at some point is actually listen to the whole finish the Charlie arc. Um, right. I mean, I know, I, I think at some point they kind of bring it they kind of bring her back to the storm warning point where, you know, obviously she's kind of out of time in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to kind of finish. And I think she gets reintroduced as a companion. I to, believe she's with the Colin Baker doctor. To Colin Baker doctor for a while. Again, you know, as Big Finish gets more and more confident, they get more conf- they get more and more convoluted. <laughs> the downside of that, and which, you know, obviously makes the stories more exciting and more engaging, is that in some ways you know, a kind of completist like myself feels that I have to listen to the whole thing in order mm-hmm. to understand everything. And again, right. time and money is something that I... Uh, maybe, you know, when I, maybe when I'm old and senile, I'll just, mm-hmm. like, download them all into my brain and listen to them <laughs> that way. Something to do in the home. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> in your exactly. rocking chair and iPod. In my rocking chair. I'm listening to me finish. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I thought the hook uh, was better of how... The TARDIS is picked up as cargo and put in the Vanguard, so they have to sneak aboard the Vanguard. And how they get hooked into the story that way was much better than what Nick Briggs initially had, where they, the Doctor makes an emergency landing on the Cyber Star Destroyer. Yeah, they just kind of just land on it, basically. Right. Yeah, I think this, this kind, of, kind of having to follow the TARDIS... Because mm-hmm. um, it gets nabbed by the scrappers is right. is excellent. Yeah, yeah. I think Nick Briggs's writing to just make it work for the Eighth Doctor was much much more smooth and much more well constructed thought into that we want the story to uh, unfold naturally with this happens so there's this consequence and so yep. the Doctor and Charlie have to do this and it all kind of builds upon itself I thought rather nicely that that first episode that which was the more the more contemporary or more newer writing at the time yeah yeah no, I agree. I agree. I agree. It's good. Yep. 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 Um, and I think, I think, that, well, actually, I'll, I'll say something. The, the, I, I, you obviously, I said I listened to the audiovisual version. Um, the version that I had access to actually kind of cut out about five minutes before the end. Nope. That is exactly the way it ends. It ends on a cliffhanger. The AV version ends on a cliffhanger. Oh, really? Okay. I was thinking like, yeah. oh, no. Which I, was so frustrating. That is frustrating. Oh, my God. Okay. So, I mean, does it? do they conclude it in the same way then? Or do they conclude it differently? Or don't you know? The conclusion is rather... Uh, the, the, the overarching st- story, the, the bookend story for the 
AV1 is with the this, uh, I think it's a renegade evil Time Lord named Reagan who got the doctor hooked or was using oh, the drug, drug Sargol, yeah. right? Oh, whatever, yeah. And then so uh, the, there's this alien energy that scans the TARDIS and they, they scan Rhea, they scan Truman, and then Truman is abducted. And so the doctor leaves the TARDIS looking for Truman thinking that's who got hurt, who happens to be one of the crew of the Vanguard. And that's how the story gets picked up. And then right. at the end of the story, a diva and the doctor are adrift in space uh, it's diva who gives up her oxygen supply for the doctor and and so she is lost and then the doctor goes looking and gains access to the TARDIS because the the cyber star destroyer gets disintegrated by the ion storm and he just picks it up from there and then it's again looking for Truman and then Rhea disappears so I I did listen to the the first part of the next one just because I thought well were we missing something in the AV story it it didn't didn't have quite the nice tidy wrap-up that we had with the big finish story where the doctor puts the kettle on yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. It, it's it's roughly the same thing where the cyber ship disintegrates in the ion storm and they're adrift in space and they find the TARDIS as part of the wreckage. It, right. it, if memory serves. I listened to the AV one quite a bit ago. Okay. So, so yeah, you know, that was complete. It did end on a cliffhanger. And I think they sped up a lot of the dialogue there, maybe like, a, like by 10 or 15 percent to have it fit in uh, to a 45-minute two-side cassette of 90 minutes because some of the dialogue seemed really rushed. Got to fit into a C90. Yep. So that's my thinking. Um, no, as, that, that's, that's sensible thinking. Yeah, as we have noted in other Doctor Who stories, I think with Horror Fang Rock, where we have very liked-sounding character names, that, that's one of the things that Briggs did revise is he renamed the character in the original, uh, the um, Chev, who was played by Gary Russell. He was the first crew member to die. In the Big okay. Finish story, that was Mark Kelsey. So, And then the woman crew member, Chev, Chev. Uh, was Cheva or Chava in the audiovisual story. So in the AV story, we had Cheva and Chev, and Briggs made those names a little bit different for the big finished version. So there's there's bits like that. What did you think of the the smuggler backstory with Grash being this crime lord? <laughs> uh, again, it was it felt to me like a it, it like it felt Holmesian, but not in a good way. Okay. Yeah, it's like well, yes. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I think. I, I think what's interesting, again, I mean, I'm just going to repeat what I said before, is that at this point, Big Finish was, they were sticking to this 25-minute, four-episode structure Hmm. um, because they felt that, you know, Who fans wouldn't accept anything else. I think when you've got no visuals, you've got to pack it. There's a lot more plot that you've got to, like, lump in there or, like, talking or doing things Hmm. than you have in 25 minutes of TV show where you can spend five minutes watching mummies run around, (laughs) which is awesome (laughs) and and gives you you five (laughs) minutes of running time. You can't spend five minutes just listening to a soundtrack, so you've got to have stuff going on, which sometimes is good. And sometimes is not. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's useful. Sometimes it adds. I mean, you know, Grash was like you know, Cockney accented crime lord. You know, I don't know who he was supposed to be. Like you know, Bob Hoskins or someone in like you know, um, Long Good Friday. Blah blah blah. Um, uh, yeah, it was fine. I don't think it really added much. It did give the connection with I think was it uh, 
oh, who who is in the market? Ike. Ike in the market stall who is working yeah. with Crash that it did give that connection. So the doctor met the crew or one of the crew members in the market. And then right. so there's suspicious. It's sort of like with Power of the Daleks where the, where the doctor is mistaken for someone else. And so they think he's a custom and excise man rather than just wandering the fourth dimension. I thought it was a nice way of tying it in, but then like Grask's death, death scene when he is being cyber converted, that he's saying, well, I can put a hit out on you. It, it, right. it, I guess this was supposed to be the characterization where he just totally loses it and just is emotionally in a meltdown. That's why the Cybermen kill him rather than convert him. But it did seem to be a little forced at that point, maybe. I don't know. Well, this is, I mean, this, this is why I'm making the Bob Hoskins and the Long Good Friday. I and mean, that's why I'm kind of making that reference because, you know, that's that's the kind of, you know, crime boss gets taken down by someone who he doesn't realize is just a measure really be more powerful than he right. is lashes out but they kill him anyway right. because they're immeasurably more powerful than he is so like like Harold Shand and um and the IRA in that movie it's 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 Grask mm-hmm. and the um and the Cybermen yeah it makes sense then that's probably what Briggs was going for then I'm pretty sure it was yeah yeah because you said I mean Briggs is a sponge and which is why Big Finish has been able to churn out <laughs> Literally, I mean, I mean, churn is the wrong word because churn implies low quality. Oh, have been is, able this to is produce... the highest cream butter that we're churning out. Here. <laughs> the most delicious, <laughs> tastiest creamy butter you've ever tasted. No, I mean, over, you know, 10, 15 years or so, they've turned out like literally hundreds of stories, mm-hmm. most of which have been pretty original, most of which have been very enjoyable. And it's, and it's kind of amazing, really. When you think of like you know the the difficulty that movie studios and TV networks have with coming up with something new right. to entertain us, Big Finish is like yeah, we'll just do this and then we'll do another one and one of those and yeah, here's the here's the thing. It's great. I love yeah. them. I mean, more more power to them. I hope they all end up being millionaires. <laughs> they, they probably never will with audio, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they will. But anyway, yeah. but it is. But the I mean. I believe Sword of Orion was on BBC, and uh, many other big, big finished productions are part of the BBC Four staples that they are for drama. They are, and I think I mean this is this is as, 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 again as, as our listener will, will will probably know. I mean, over the past twenty years or so, the BBC has very much moved away from being a production house itself, yep. for better or for worse. I mean, it's just a thing. It's just what they've decided to do. Um, it's for uh, survival more than anything else. Survival, yeah, because the Tories won't let them do right. anything else. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the majority of, obviously, BBC drama is contracted out. Right. And I think it's great that Big Finish are one of the people who, I mean, I guess they don't literally contract out, let's have some new drama for you. But, you know, if they... If, if all they have to do is like slap in a CD and press play <laughs> for some excellent Who-based drama, then why not? I think they edit it down slightly for content or, or for a length. For length. <laughs> for length. Well, there's there's some language differences. Like uh, one of the one of the crew members in the AV story calls Captain Jansen a bitch, while I think in yes. the big finished version they call her an old cow. So I think it's a little uh, a little adjustment yeah. of language here and there for yeah. for the yeah. for the audience. For the audience, right. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think I I mean I haven't done this piece of research and I probably never will because I don't think it's that interesting. <laughs> but anyway, I mean it would um it would be 
very, very slightly interesting to see which big finishes the BBC have broadcast and which ones they mm-hmm. haven't. Um, I'm wondering what kind of you know quality assessment the BBC does in terms of big finishes that they broadcast or whether they literally just like call up Nick Briggs and say, can you send us a couple of CDs, mate, um, and we'll just stick them on. I'm sure they don't do that, but I mean, I'm wondering how they assess them. Because uh, again, it's certainly in this earlier era, there were, there were a few dogs. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, Minuet in Hell, which I remember being awful. I'm thinking that one might have been skipped due to adult themes or something like that. Uh, just awfulness, I think, really. <laughs> um, but again, I mean, if you get into later Big Finish, you, you get a lot of interlocking stories, which I think is fantastic, and I love it because I'm a fan. Right. But for a casual listener, you know, something that's, that will require you to remember, to, you know, a companion chronicle from six months ago in order to kind of fully get the, mm-hmm. the sense of it, I don't know. So. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it makes it makes it more tricky because you have to, like you said, you want to know the whole backstory in order to make any sense of it. You kind of do, and especially if you're again a fan like me. I mean, I find it very difficult not to know the backstory. Mm-hmm. It makes me upset if a backstory, if my the backstory is not well known to me. Yeah. Mm. So again, I think this Nick Briggs did a really good job weaving all these various threads, both of aliens, uh, crime movies, uh, the you know the Doctor Who canon, uh, just you what an effective use for a Cybermat. Go, oh go great! On. It's great to have the Cybermats back, mm-hmm. and I and as far as I can gather, they're the. Uh, they're the revenge of the Cybermen, Cybermats. Kind of like a worm, more like a kind more like more a like a worm than a bug. But I'm guessing they're like the revenge of the Cybermen, Cybermats, but miniaturized. Yeah, smaller ones, yeah. which is great. Yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Exactly. With a laser yeah. in their nose. Nice one. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good. No, I just mm-hmm. loved it. I'm always always like the Cybermat. Yeah, yeah. It was very good use of the Cybermat. Go in, have the Cybermat destroy the ship systems so the Vanguard can't get away, so the Cybermen can then convert or uh, harvest the humans for conversion. Yeah, no, it's an excellent use of Cybermats. Sometimes, you know, you wonder why Cybermats are around. But, I mean, right. if you actually think about what they might be for, then uh, they make a lot of sense. And uh, the Cybermen's plan wasn't too convoluted. It was it a was pretty straightforward plan that this the Cybermen sent this factory ship, this Star Destroyer, out to gain more uh, troops, more Cybermen. It gets disabled in an ion storm. But they still have this mission that they want to uh, convert or upgrade humans. And (laughs) they could have easily wiped out the uh, Vanguard's crew. But instead, they wanted to keep them for conversion. And that's what uh, happened to Vol, to Chev, to uh, Grash, and Ike. So four four of the crew members were... (laughs) converted or partially converted i don't i don't think we know that the conversion probably never was completed by the time that the ship was destroyed in the ion storm yeah no i mean the cyberman plan is 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 it's a it's a good it makes sense uncomplicated (laughs) plan to just do things rather than their usual mo which is just like wow just throw everything in the kitchen sink and everything all the time until the until the start until the mm-hmm. story finally ends um yeah no it, it was very very explicable i mean i i actually could have done with slightly more complication to their plan <laughs> weirdly enough i mean i think again i mean going back to my original point of a kind of an alien 
equivalents um, that this plot has. I mean, they were kind of like the monsters that you wake up that you then have to deal with mm-hmm. more than anything else. I mean, they didn't, they were kind of, uh, I'm sure there's a technical word for it, but they were the kind of, you know, passive threat, really, that our antagonism towards kind of allows us to do our plot and have our character, if you see mm-hmm. what I mean. Yeah, um, I think they, so. Yeah. They didn't have a lot of character. I mean, you know, obviously they're sidemen, so they don't have a lot of character anyway. <laughs> not a lot of personality. <laughs> not a lot, but I mean, they didn't have a lot of agency. They were just like trying to get humans to turn them into sidemen. Mm-hmm. That's what they were trying well, to do. Well, that's, that's always the Cyberman goal, too. I kind of, yeah. I kind of see them as a, a cyber evangelist that they, you know, the only true salvation is through cybernization yeah 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 so I, I i mean they're they're very black and white thinking that you know that they are there to upgrade humanity and they need they need bodies yeah they do i mean they're desperate i mean you know this is again why you know i think it's a nice callback to kind of revenge of the cybermen where you know the cybermen are mm-hmm. um skulking around the galaxy um because you know they, and they 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 work best when they're mm-hmm. when they're when they're kind of on the back foot i think cybermen right. Because they're they're obviously they're so super powerful right. and kind of you know, in charge when they're actually in charge that actually mm-hmm. kind of defeating them is is often ends up being a bit silly you know right. like oh it's gravity ah oh, they're defeated <laughs> or radiation ion Ooh, storm ion storm <laughs> ah they're defeated well they don't like they they don't like radiation so yeah right. yeah yeah well it was it was int- yeah it was interesting that they were on a star destroyer rather than that's what the vanguard crew and the the uh, silver jackal were calling. Yes. calling this a star destroyer but it and in fact was a factory ship and i'm wondering if it was would have been a better description or a better explanation to call it a factory ship more frequently than a star destroyer or maybe that was I, what did the Cybermen think of it as? It was a heavily weaponed factory ship? I don't yeah. I don't know. I, I was a bit confused by uh, the level of knowledge that people had about Cybermen. In the, in the AV version, Cybermen seemed to be something that people knew more about. In right. the Big Finish version, you know, they didn't... Well, I, actually, also in the AV version, it took a while, I seem to remember, for the Doctor to kind of work out that it was Cybermen anyway, which seemed a little bit kind of dumb of him. Right. Yeah, it, it took him forever to figure it out. I mean, I, which is weird, in, actually, for both, in fact, in some ways, because you would have thought that the Doctor, given his level of knowledge, as soon as he sees a cyber factory ship, right. like using his eyes, mm-hmm. would be able to recognize it as a cyber star destroyer factory ship. I and mean, they must be pretty distinctive. Right. Right. I would think so. Or, I mean, or maybe it's all dark. they have the big logo on the <laughs> the wall. <laughs> <laughs> They've always got their logo. They're very, very brand conscious. They are, you know. Yeah, like I mean, if you if you you've, you've got to go with the with the brand standards mm-hmm. um, if you're a Cyberman. So right. yeah, it's up to I, code. I, I'm I'm surprised the Doctor didn't kind of. Oh yeah, it's Cybermen in there. Right. Let's not go in there. Mm-hmm. And just the and just <laughs> let's the... just let's just nuke the site from orbit. Is the only way to be sure. <laughs> Yeah, like we got to kill it, kill it with fire. Kill it, kill it with fire. <laughs> kill it, kill it with some gold that we've yeah. got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Radioactive gold. Yeah, it's interesting that they, they had that gold-plated Cyberman helmet at the in the bazaar in that. Yeah, was shot. there a payoff from that? What was the point of that phrase? I think it was there to introduce the Cybermen, but then you would think that the Doctor would have Cybermen on the mind and would be able to pick up earlier that. I, I thought he would have figured out right away that it was a Cybermat. It just it made sense to me. Everything I know as a viewer yeah. about Cybermats that this this it's it's the wheel in space. The Cybermats there to disable the dis- disable the laser cannon, but here the Cybermats there to disable the engines and the communication system. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
Mm. Oh, the one, the one big missing scene. The one oh, thing, missing, one scene. Yep. missing scene in the AV one. And I think Briggs did this to soften the character of Captain Diva Jansen, uh, or Special Agent CGH. The witnessing of her crew being converted into Cybermen and not doing anything and not really giving a care that that was happening and says, well, please proceed. Because that was in the AV presentation and it was absent, I believe, from the Big Finish circumstance. I don't think Captain Jansen ever saw her crew being converted. I think you're right. Yeah, and I think that does soften the character somewhat. From, which I which I'm not sure it's entirely a good thing actually. Um, I mean it makes it makes her more of a kind of Briggsian female hero. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it softens it a bit. Yeah, and he Briggs definitely did leave the characters. And I, I looked, and I believe CGH Diva Jansen hasn't returned to Big Finish, but he. Uh, the doctor certainly says that she could drift forever in space. I'm sure she'll be back. I'm sure she'll be back. Well, maybe she won't. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just surprised that, it, you know, in the 18 years since then, we haven't seen a return of CGH that uh, McGann or one of the other doctors haven't encountered her. We David should, Tennant. We should, David Tennant would be a good one. Yeah, we, we should remind Nick Briggs that he needs to bring <laughs> that character back. We'll start the petition right now. <laughs> exactly the Twitter, Twitter's tweet storm that will ensure <laughs> ensure her return in her own dedicated series, The Adventures of Oh my goodness, yeah. Special <laughs> Space Security Agent CGH, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And the Doctor doesn't really defeat the Cybermen, and his own bombacity of uh, having to have the discussion outside the TARDIS before he allows CGH. Uh, Jansen into the TARDIS led to <laughs> led to the cyber leader coming in there and damaging Charlie's life support system and so it it sets up the whole ending but it, the doctor diva and Charlie had fully escaped until the doctor refuses to let her on board until she yeah. promises to delete all knowledge of cyber conversion that the androids want to use Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the Doctor, he's always hoist, can, can be hoist by his own petard. And then he was in this case, definitely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's got to watch himself. So, thumbs up on this one for me. Yeah, thumbs up from me as well. I was pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised to rediscover this one. Um, it's not a long-lost classic, but it's certainly well worth a listen. Yeah. Uh, it said, you know, it's an early, it's an early eighth Doctor um, mm-hmm. for... Uh, Big Finish. It's the first appearance of the Cybermen in Big Finish. Um, that's that's interesting. And yeah, definitely mm-hmm. go and download it from the Big Finish web- website, yep. friends. Yes, and I certainly don't think you need to go listen to the audiovisual story on this. Unless too. you want to, unless you want to hear the Cybermen march, which I personally love. That was um, nice with Space Adventures, and there's a little yeah. bit of. Um, yeah. Uh, Earthshock themes in there, but you can always play your cyber theme uh, DV as uh, your cyber <laughs> cyber theme CD over the back of the background. Oh, I love it, love it, yeah, I love it. This mm-hmm. the Cybermen. Ah, uh, they are. They're great. They're great. They got their own theme tune. They got their own logo. Yep, they're excellent. They're like they're like mm-hmm. Facebook or something. <laughs> That's what they are. Uh, must be must be upgraded. <laughs> must, must be networked. Must, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have you upgraded your <laughs> operating system? Exactly. Yeah. 
Cool. Right. Or, um, uh, do any, next, any, ne- any yeah, more we'll, to say? Yeah, well, next time we're going to be dipping back into our cliffhangers. We're going to look at the John Nathan Turner era yes. cliffhangers and try to pick out five that we think are excellent. 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 We'll make a silver fist and go, excellent. <laughs> we will try and do that. Um, that will be an interesting task for us both to do. Yep. Okay. Just to wind up then, thank you for listening to episode 75 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been talking with Ben. And I have been talking with David. And thanks for listening. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>